So, here we are again after another week of football. It's the Armchair Manhattan's podcast. I'm Ross Evans with my co-host, as always, Dan Newton. Hello. And it's finally given us a week with something to talk about. And we're returning to an old classic, one of our favourites, with a little bit extra. Of course, VAR's involved, but the state of officiating in the Premier League at this present moment is not looking good, is it, Dan? No, no, it's been... um particularly bad um the last couple of weeks i don't really know what's happened but uh referees have been uh in not in fine form it's fair to say no they haven't and you know for once it's it's always <laughs> as a liverpool fan that takes some heat off me to see other teams moaning about var decisions on pitch referee decisions it's i mean this week has been mental for refs isn't it yeah it's been some very kind of bizarre decisions yeah, like not not just how they like they interpret the rules, like the manner of how they go about refereeing. I think it's just been very strange. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So without further ado, I guess we're just gonna have to get straight into it. I think obviously the biggest thing about football this season, which let's I think we should unpack first, is there's no fans in the stadiums. How yeah. do you think that that is going to affect a referee? Well, potentially, you know it puts i think less pressure on them because uh, particularly i think for the the uh, like if you're the home fans kind of put a lot of pressure on the referee you'd think that the referee can kind of ignore that and just take the decisions however they come and not really worry about you know having forty thousand people screaming at them yeah i mean it's, it's effectively walking into a lion's den isn't it when you're a referee you're part of the officiating team because every single decision you make will be criticized by someone like fans on your back players on the pitch as we know are always on the ref you know if you if you're you know intelligent enough to watch football without the crowd fake crowd noise because that's awful by the way i hate it it is really bad (laughs) um you can hear the players giving you know just chipping at the ref throughout the game when there's a decision they don't like you know we've always seen teams crowd referees and stuff like that but that's effectively what the fans are doing is crowding the referee he is stuck in a field surrounded by what 40 to 60,000 people none of which like him yeah yeah um so how much influence do you think that should one was well, kind of a two-part question really how much influence do you think that actually has on the decision and thinking about it professionally should that make a difference um i mean i'd like to say that it shouldn't really make a difference and that referee should just make the decision they think is correct and not really worry about outside pressures but i think that's kind of impossible probably like just from a that's not how people really work you know if you've got 40,000 people screaming at you it's going to affect your decision making so I think yeah. the fact that that's not there, I would have thought would probably lead to maybe better decisions um, because the refs can kind of just assess the incidents without worrying about it. But that doesn't really seem to be the case. So I'd imagine yeah. it is having some effect. Um, I think I, I read some stat the other day that there's been a lot more penalties given this season, which may be due to you know VAR and the changes with the handball rules, but may also be that refs feel more comfortable given those kind of bigger decisions because they're not worried about the fans 
Yeah, I mean, does that kind of almost point to a level of ego in some refs? You know, we always talk about refs like Mike Dean almost being a showman on the pitch as an oppo- as opposed to being a referee. So is there a level of ego that is, oh, now, you know, the fans aren't shouting at me and anyone here who's left on the pitch, I can discipline. I'm Billy Big Bollocks. What I say goes. Maybe. Um, you know, I, I don't think every ref's like Mike Dean. I think a lot of them are just... No. Trying to officiate the game, but um, I think there is definitely, you know, the ref can kind of do whatever he wants and not feel pressured. Although equally, you know, with VAR, there's always that pressure of if you get a decision wrong, it like it can be overturned. So maybe that's allowing them to sort of give more decisions with the risk of them being wrong, not as big a deal as it used to be. Yeah, Um, but you know, as part of the officiating team, you know, we'll get on to VAR in a bit more detail later on but now do you think that's in a way actually made or created more pressure for refs because of the length of time that VAR takes surely that you know fans get restless players get restless because it it disrupts the flow of the game do you think there's almost pressure on them to make the correct an increased level of pressure in VAR not so much the comfort blanket that oh if I get it wrong they can overturn it it's like actually that overturning in terms of the abuse i'm getting isn't worth it yeah um i I think maybe it depends on kind of the individual's point of view and you know who the referee is Uh, i'm sure some of them will feel like it gives them more pressure whereas others will kind of feel it as a bit of a a safety blanket i guess um i think that maybe comes down to the individuals um i think you know looking at it from my point of view i think it should make them kind of braver with making decisions Kind of, if they, if they think it's a penalty, give the penalty. If it's wrong, they can check it and it'll be overturned. Same for like red cards and things like that. But yeah, I don't, know, I, I don't think it's actually worked like that in practice, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, speaking of penalties, I guess we've got to look at sort of the first couple of incidents on our notes. So we're going to ask you to cast your minds back to Arsenal versus Wolves. Now, Arsenal vs Wolves, Arsenal saw two players sent off in David Luiz and Bert Leno. Now, of course, the Bert Leno red card, he intentionally handled the ball outside of the box. Red card, can't argue that. Yeah. But the David Luiz red card was an odd one. We all thought it was odd at the time. Then a few weeks later, the Merseyside derby was made even more odd when Trent Alexander-Arnold gets a penalty given against him, but no card. Now, we can. I think, first of all, do you think either of them was actually a penalty? Um, it's hard to say because I think both of them were accidental, where it's kind of players coming together and, you know, the attack has gone down uh, and, and obviously the ref's given the penalty. I think there was no intent to foul the players, but I think it pro- they probably are penalties, you know, unfortunately, even though, even though it is accidental, I, I think probably were penalties but i do think it's odd that like you said david louis got sent off for one of them but trent i don't think he even got a a yellow card did he no he didn't and this is what this is what confuses because i certainly don't think the trent one was a penalty i mean he's got his back turned to him he doesn't even know he's there and just tried to get up off the ground because the ball's still in play (laughs) i I thought that how can that be given but i think you know having read like the explanations and stuff it's just like even if it's an accident, it's still a penalty, apparently, from what I read, kind of following it. Um, which, again, should that be the rule? 
I don't know, but I think the way the rules are written, it probably is a penalty. Mm. Um, as much as you know, it's kind of dumb. But I also think the David Luiz one's kind of dumb because he's just—they've yeah. just like come together. It's not, again, it's an accident. Yeah, but what I don't get—if we can, you know—I would still sit here and say I, I'm not entirely sure the David Luiz one was um, a penalty either. Like you say, it's, you know, he's got a red card for it. The contact wasn't exactly massive; it was minimal. Yeah. Um, and. I'm, again, I'm I'm just confused as to how it can be a red the penalty. Okay, if it's a letter of the law, then I guess it's got to be given. But certainly the red card, there's got to be a level of interpretation for both, for that one. Certainly, and say, well, it's not. He's chasing the man. You know, it's not intentional. He he's tried to catch up, and that's an un you know an unintentional coming together of legs. Should it be a red card? No, because. For someone in, for you know, it's a red card if there is no intent to play the ball. By giving David Luiz a red card, that is insinuating he didn't, he didn't want to, he made a tackle with no intention of playing the ball. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case for any defender who plays above national league standard. When they make a tackle, the aim is to get the ball unless they're breaking a counter. You never want to give away a penalty. Yeah, I mean, the only instance you have that is if someone just pulls someone's shirt as they run past them, which you see happen sometimes. Um, yeah. Which, again, obviously that is a penalty and a red card because there's no attempt to win the ball. It's just trying to stop the man. You see that happen to like Mo Salah quite a lot, I think, where someone just tucks at his shirt as he goes past them and he goes down and sometimes or sometimes he doesn't get a penalty, but often he does. Um, but no, I, I do agree with you that I think neither the Trent one or the David Luiz one should have been red cards. I think they're entirely accidental and yeah, was, I think the referee and VAR just completely got the David Luiz one wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think that leads on to, you know, we say there needs to be a level of interpretation from the referees. You know, they've got to be able to look at that and actually assess whether or not that's intentional or not. But how much interpretation be can be allowed between referees? Because what one referee, like Michael Oliver, for example, interprets as a you know intentional foul, someone like Lee Mason might not see that as an intentional foul, and that's two completely different. Uh, it's two outcomes. different referees, and it, even though it's the same kind of incident, they're giving opposing decisions, and then yeah. after the game, they're both protected by the FA and referees yeah. association, but or whatever it is. Yeah, but they're both, you know, they're both educated on the same laws. They follow the same framework. So how in the second um, situation that we've highlighted, do you have near on identical handball incidents and yet one is a penalty and one's not? And it, for those who don't understand, this was the penalty that Arsenal got on Wilfred and Didi for a handball and Man United not getting a penalty for hudson Doy. Uh, handball in the area like how how can that situation be happen where it's nearly identical and have two different outcomes yeah um i mean it's quite bizarre i mean i thought i mean i actually thought both of them could probably be penalties um they're just one of those dumb things where you know if, if it's one of those penalties that goes against you i'm more frustrated at the player for like putting his arm out and getting hit rather than the referee you know giving the decision um but yeah it, it's just like I said, it's just bizarre. You can't really explain it because you think by the letter of the law, 
the both clear penalties. Yeah, and obviously there's confusion with uh, Luke Shaw for United and uh, Harry Maguire and what the ref has said to them. That is, uh, you know, apparently supposedly the ref said it would cause too much controversy to give the penalty, and that was his reasoning for not giving it. Which then the club later came out and said Luke Shaw misheard that wasn't said. Yeah, I mean, there's no way of knowing what actually gets said. You know, as someone who's you know been lucky enough to watch some games behind closed doors, the things that you you hear are, are very surprising often, <laughs> especially from the referees how they explain some of their decisions. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know about that. I'd, I'd be very surprised if that was said. Yeah, Do you, that leads on something that we've kind of talked about. You know, occasionally you see referees in other sports come out and explain their decisions. You know, rugby referees, for example, most recently with the England-Wales game, the referee has now come out and apologised for some of the decisions he made. He knows he got them wrong. Um, do you think that Premier League referees should do the same th thing and maybe re be required to explain some decisions to the press or maybe something like that? Maybe. I mean, I, I always quite like the whole NFL thing where they kind of stand there and they kind of explain what happened um, or like why they've given the decision. I don't think you need that for, for every decision. I don't know, NFL and, you know, football are very different uh, sports. Um, but I think for like penalties and especially with VAR, you know, the ref's already mic'd up. You could just have him actually explain it. Like, yeah. you know, it goes to a VAR decision. They award the penalty. Here's why it's been given because he was holding him in the box or whatever or because the handball yeah. was at a certain angle or whatever. But I think, you know, I think they just explained it like that. I think everyone would feel a lot happier because there'd be way more transparency behind it all. Yeah. Would you like to see it like rugby then? You know, after rugby, after a try scored, it's check with the um, TMOs. Any reason I cannot award the try, then they have a look into it. Yeah, I suppose, you, yeah. You I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of rugby, I'll be honest, so I'm not that familiar with it. But um, I, th I think most sports that have technology like that, if it's NFL or rugby or... I think cricket does it as well, where you actually get to hear the explanation of why a decision's been given. And I think it works yeah. for all those sports, and I don't really see why it wouldn't work for football. Yeah, I mean, it certainly probably appease some fans, wouldn't it? You know, maybe not all of them, but certainly if you could hear what was the decision-making process uh, behind a VAR call, that would be quite helpful i guess to take some of the heat off the on-field referee as well wouldn't it yeah because well, i think the problem is we're getting into territory where it's not just people disagreeing with decisions it's people not understanding decisions and i think that's the bigger yeah. problem is it's not that i think the referees were wrong it's that i i just don't understand why they're giving a certain decision in some instances and doing the opposite when something very similar happens it you know it doesn't make sense and I think that's a yeah. bigger problem than getting decisions wrong, personally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would, I guess that would certainly call for, you know, people being less interpreted, having their own interpretations of the rules. They've, you know, being able to all stick to one decision in, certain, in a given situation, which is hard to do because it's very different situations. Um, but, um, you know, if we think back to the hand, certain handball rules, you know, how many goals would have not happened, how many would have been given. You know, certainly I think if you had another look at the handball decision between Manchester City and Liverpool last year for Fabinho's goal, that goal probably should have been chalked off. I think it probably would have been at the start of this season. 
but that's kind of the problem is a lot of the rules are always changing as well so we've had probably about four or five different interpretations of handball you know changed in how the rules are written this season alone so i think you know when there's so many rules being changed as well as you know the confusion over why decisions are being given it you know it really doesn't help yeah um you know we're focusing on var a bit so you know we've talked about var a lot we used to have a almost weekly segment of what did var get wrong this time now <laughs> i guess we should touch on it again it, it's not so much var in as being the issue it's it is the standard of refereeing unfortunately you know we used to have some top top referees and recently you, everyone just seems to have gone off the ball we you know we even saw it was it the championship where one referee squared up with a player was that a couple uh, of weeks that ago that was in league one i think in a Ipswich game yeah i mean surely that can't happen in the pitch or is it something that you know we actually would like do you think that would almost get referees you know to demand a bit more respect as you know what i'm going to give it back or is that something that we can't shouldn't have in the game no i think the referees are supposed to be above all that i know i know it's, it's probably not right that they get the amount of abuse they do you know even from players or fans after the match but i think you know the whole point of being a referee is that you can hold yourself above that and not kind of stoop to their level if that makes sense um, yes. because you're supposed to be an impartial you know you're supposed to be running the game essentially making sure it all follows the rules so i think when you then stop following the rules it becomes an even bigger problem yeah true very true i mean would make the game more entertaining though wouldn't it yeah yeah definitely i mean in terms of entertainment sure uh in terms of watching you know good football matches uh i don't know <laughs> yeah um so var back back to the top of hand var so you let's theoretically we're in charge next season of how var is run do you think that var should be one team like a one two man team who run it for all games just themselves i mean that's hard, it's highly unlikely that's feasible with the amount of games that go on at the same time yeah but, how do we correct some VAR decisions? I know we touched, you, you quite rightly said, let fans hear the, the decision-making process. Is there anything else we could do to sort of fix VAR, or is it VAR is not the issue, it's the rules and how they're interpreted? I think a lot of it is to do with the actual rules, and I, I don't think many of them have maybe been updated to match the fact that we now have VAR, um, which I think maybe needs looking at and addressing because um, I actually don't think VAR is implemented that badly, really. Um, there's a couple instances uh, where it has been, like where the ref gets called over to look at the monitor, he looks at it for about two seconds and then doesn't change his mind. I think that happened to a game a couple of weeks ago. Which I think is just, that was a Liverpool Everton game. Uh, it might have been, yeah. Where it's like, well, at least, at least you know, look at it a couple of times. It gives yeah. you more confidence that you've made the right decision then. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I think stuff like that's a problem. But again, that comes down to the individual refs. So again, I, yeah. I actually don't think VAR is much of a problem. It's more how the rules are being interpreted through VAR. I think it's kind of an issue, which um, yeah. maybe that doesn't make sense. But I, I think you know what I'm saying, right? It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, sorry, the offside on. rule, the offside rule, 
though. Do you, do you think there needs to be another change to the offside rule? Because um, it is reasonably clear if you look at the motion blur on the football from frame to frame in VAR, it's not actually quick enough in terms of how many frames it can capture. It's not quick enough to take the exact point of contact when a pass is made. So should there be a change in the offside rule for leeway? Like on how you can be okay a certain amount past the man when it looks like the ball is played because we can't guarantee this is the exact second. Yeah, I think I think even Arsene Wenger's talked about that. Um, definitely, you know, back when he was a manager, and I think more recently as well. Um, so I think potentially that's something that could be looked into. It's something I, I think we've even talked about on this podcast before, or at least mentioned it yeah. briefly. Um, it's something that I think is interesting. Um, again, it, it's hard to tell how that would work in practice because um, you think because then that's because that's the only thing that could work in a VAR situation. Like that rules couldn't go into leagues where there is no VAR because it would just make it really hard to officiate. Because the player would be like, "Well, I, I was actually only offside by an inch." It's like, "Well, I'm." you know 40 meters away i can't tell that from here i haven't got var in the lower leagues so i I think it's kind of interesting if you end up with one rule for the leagues with var and one rule for everyone else i don't really know how that would work out yeah yeah it's it's a tricky rule it would have to be changed by fifa as opposed to the fa wouldn't it Um, Uh, i believe so yeah yeah it's it's really Tricky. I mean, it's frustrating. I think for all teams now, was you know, we've seen Patrick Bamford being called offside because he was pointing where he wanted the ball. You know, we've seen a couple of cases of that where it's literally the arm that's caused them to be offside. Um, you know, because it's past the shirt sleeve, but then the ball is also handball if it's you know hit them on the shirt sleeve. So technically, you can't play the ball with the arm, but that means it's not a ball playing part, so it can't be offside or something. You know, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's the famous the whole... um, Firmino, Firmino's offside because of his armpit. Well, you're never going yeah. to score a goal with your armpit, are you? No. I mean, I'll be fair. Firmino doesn't look like he can score a goal at all at the moment. <laughs> Although, to be fair, he's the kind of player that if anyone was going to score with their armpit, it's probably him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something you put past him. But um, certainly... He's struggling for Liverpool at the moment, but I think that's topic for discussion in another episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm still still hurting about it. I thought he had his goal last night, but it's been given as an own goal because he'd actually dragged the shot well, well wide. <laughs> um. Anyway, the one last thing we've got to look at in refereeing is the Brighton free kick goal that wasn't a goal. Um, yeah, I mean. That was that was a just ridiculous situation in the first place. And yeah. I, even though I think they technically got, got to the right decision in the end, it was I think bad refereeing because yeah. um I mean we we'll just talk it through for people who haven't seen it. So Brian get a free kick kind of just edge of the box, don't they? Yeah. And so so the who are they playing? Um, it, they playing? I don't I didn't know who West they were Brom. Playing. I think they were playing it's West Brom. Yeah. So the West Brom goalkeeper is kind of setting up the wall and he's over to one side of the goal and the referee blows his whistle. So Brighton take the free kick really quickly and it goes into the net. But before it goes into the net, the referee blows his whistle again just before it crosses the line to like bring the play back, even though he had blown the whistle for them to take the free kick. I think I think that makes sense, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, I mean, as much as your uh, description makes sense, if you are listening and you are confused, don't worry everyone who watched the game was, because no one can understand why he's blown his whistle to play and then blown again to hold, to bring play to a close for a sec. I, I don't understand why he did that. Yeah, because the problem was there was no real reason for him to blow the whistle a second time. If he's already blown it once to say take the free kick, then why would his mind have changed in the yeah. you know two seconds it takes a ball to go into the goal? So it's just odd, really. Like, why would you blow the whistle if you're not actually ready for them to take the free kick? Yeah, uh, you know we see we see it when corners are taken. Sometimes you know he, the ref will you know he's before he blows his whistle go and sort out any jostling in the box and his shirt grabbing things like that before he blows the whistle so the only time he blows the whistle is if he is sure they are ready to go why the referee Lee Mason didn't you know if there was something he'd spotted why he surely must have spotted it earlier and if so if there was a big issue why didn't he just if it was a foul he could have blown up and given the foul anyway yeah well, so... I think I think he blew up because he realised the goalkeeper was maybe still staying at the wall, but um, he'd obviously, for some reason, already blown, even though he clearly knew that was the case. Um, yeah. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I seem to remember Liverpool conceding a very similar goal last season. We conceded season. The, it was the exact same free kick routine to the exact same player, actually. It was Lewis Dunk. Yeah, and obviously there was no second whistle, I think, there, and that goal was no. allowed to stand, even though it was the exact same situation. So it yeah. seems very bizarre that now that the referees have a problem with that, when they've allowed a goal, that's pretty much the exact same thing last season. And there's not been a, a rule change around free kicks or anything like that. No, it's it's extremely odd. And then we saw, you know, further bit of, after all this controversy, you know, the Brighton players surround the referee, they're not happy, of course they're not. They've, they've gone on to lose the game. Um Lee Mason was meant to be the fourth official in the Manchester United versus Chelsea game, but apparently pulled out at the last minute because he picked up an injury. Apart from his pride, do you think he was injured? I mean, there's no way to know. Um, I mean, I don't blame him for taking himself out of it. It's probably the better decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure they could get someone else to do it. Yeah, I mean, they, they did have a stand-in. He was ready, you know, two hours notice. They managed to get him to the game. And, but if he is, did pick up an injury, then all the best to him. Do hope he recovers from whatever it is. Um, but if, if he isn't injured, he's a bit embarrassing. Yeah. If he if he's not injured, then he's hiding. Is what he's done. Yeah. Well, because I think part of the issue was with Anderson is I'm, I think he tried to then allow the goal afterwards, and then because the VAR checked it, was like, no, you can't because you'd blown the whistle again. So then they had to yeah. retake the whole free kick. So I don't know. Yeah. It was, there was no reason to blow the second whistle, but I think because he did, they kind of had to disallow the goal. Yeah, it's extremely odd, isn't it? It was just an odd week of refereeing in the Premier League. I think we've just got to hope that it improves next week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's certainly made for some interesting viewing from home on, on a neutral game, but, you know, if it happens to your team, then you, you're really not happy with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, a similar but different incident. I remember, you know, watching a player get sent off for a second yellow card for taking a free kick before the whistle, 
But now they can't even take it after the whistle, so like, yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah. can't win either way. It's um, it it really doesn't make sense. We're still confused. You might still be confused. If you want to let us know what you think, if you've got an explanation for it, like, please help us out. If you can let us know on Twitter, uh, our Twitter handle is in the description of this podcast, and you know, hopefully, you can let us know your views on that. So we'll move on to a quick section, and it's going to be a little versus section, because during the week, of course, we had European football, we had Chelsea in the Champions League, we also had Tottenham in the Europa League. So we've got, I've got to ask you, Dan, who did it better, Olivier Giroud or Deli Alli? Mm, that's a tricky one. You know how much I love Olivier Giroud. Um, that said, I, I actually think Deli Alli's technique was probably better as well. I think he had to set himself for it, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, although Giroud's was against a much better team, so you you got you to take that into account as well. Yeah. I mean, Giroud, of course, we saw VAR get involved in that goal, but, you know, it was, it was found to be a fair goal uh, after it was the uh, Atletico Madrid player who knocked it backwards. And Giroud, he, he, he only seems to score worldies. Yeah, I think I said it last week, he's got the, the best highlight reel in world football, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, and Deli Ali then goes and you know, just scores another exceptional bicycle kick. Um, do you think that Giroud is probably one of the most underrated players in the world right now? Um... Maybe, I mean, I I rate him quite highly. So I, don't, I he's not underrated from my point of view. I think you are right though. I think he isn't considered in the same bracket as a lot of top strikers. And I think that's yeah. probably because he, unlike a lot of them, is quite happy to be on the bench and kind of come on for ten fifteen minutes. And he's a less kind of, you know, he's not the kind of striker that most clubs look for now. He's a lot more traditional. Um, yeah. Just in his build and his style of play, but. I think I think he's fantastic, especially as a backup. I think, you know, I think Arsenal were crazy to ever let him leave. Yeah, I mean, but assuming you know, you know, okay, he doesn't play every game, but seeing as Chelsea are struggling a bit going forward, they're a bit, you know, they don't look the most dangerous going forward. Do you not think that having like a proven goal scorer maybe just risk starting him? You know, because his hold up play is brilliant as well. Now, if you're looking for a quick mobile striker to get behind the lines, you don't play Giroud. But if you want someone who can hold the ball up and bring other people into the game, surely he should be a go-to man out of Chelsea's sort of central attacking options. Yeah, I mean, I think he started against Manchester United, so clearly uh, Tuchel's not afraid to put him into the starting eleven. you know, if he plays well like he did against Atletico. So I think the, the only issue is, you know, a lot of managers now and a lot of clubs they kind of want to build their brand of football and I don't think Giroud really fits into what Tuchel wants to do long term but I think definitely now until the end of the season he could do a really good job up front for them and maybe get them into the top four Yeah certainly I think you know as you said before he's one of the best highlight reels in world football at the moment um, he's in ridiculously good shape for a player that you would say is in sort of twilight years of his career so 
I mean, if you were Giroud, do you think it's worth still staying at Chelsea? Do you think, you know, considering the Euros uh, just around the corner, if he wants a shot at um, getting into the France squad, do you think do you think he's kind of blown it by staying at Chelsea? Well, to be honest, I think it could uh, actually help him because I think France might look at him and be like, well, he's, he's already a bench player for Chelsea, so obviously he'll be happy in the same role for France. I think he has been for a large part of his career. You know, with the quality they have up front, he's not really going to get in the eleven. But I think again, he's yeah. an option that gives you something very different. And again, I I put him into most teams to be honest. At least you know, coming off the bench the last ten minutes, I mean, it'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. We we certainly know his talent. Uh, you know, when he comes off the bench, he always seems to make an impact. It's you know, it just occurs to me that you know perhaps Giroud is you know there's some obviously some world-class talent, attacking talent in the French squad, you know, Mbappe springs to mind, Karim Benzema uh, is really tearing it up this season, he's, you know, been in great form um, it, but would you perhaps want someone who has played in front of English crowds and regularly plays in front of English crowds knowing that the impact that could have on the football team, when it looks like um, fans will be hopefully back in stadiums by then even not maybe not full but hopefully we'll be back and that um, England is apparently being considered to become a sole host nation of the Euros this summer due to the fact that the vaccination program for COVID-19 is going so well mm. do you think it will be safer for them to you know play uh, potentially you know obviously being based in England he'll be very familiar with the kind of protocols that are already set up, so I think it could help Giroud. I think, you know, it'd be brilliant for England as a country, you know, obviously we're incredibly biased, but um, yeah, yeah, I think hosting a tournament would be fantastic. Um, and I think it sounds like it, it's very likely like it could happen. So I definitely yeah. don't think they'll go back to having it split across several nations, at least not this tournament, because it's no. kind of the worst possible idea you could have right now. Yeah, um, I, let's have... Let's have hundreds of people flying around to different countries during the pandemic. Sounds safe. We're, yeah. looking, at, we're looking at you, Champions League. <laughs> um, and I, I think England's probably the country that's best set up with all the infrastructure already there to host a tournament. Yeah. So I think it makes sense. Obviously, it'd be brilliant to see. Um, yeah. I don't know if it would increase England's chances or make it harder for them. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um but uh, certainly it makes it more interesting. And I think, yeah, it sounds like a good idea for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if it does come to England, I think it's going to be, you know, be, as you say, be hell of an experience having that going on. And, you know, last time, the only time England won an international trophy, it was won in when England were the host nation. So you never know. Could history repeat itself? Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But for now, there is league football to be looking forward to. And we only managed to pick out one marquee match this week. Um, it's, you know, it's, what, it's a football uh, fantasy manager's dream. It's a double game week. So plenty of league football. Um, we have picked out on Thursday, it's Liverpool versus Chelsea at quarter past eight is our marquee match. Yeah, how do you think this one's going? Um, 
it's, it's a tricky one because obviously it's a very big game for both teams. I think Liverpool want to make sure they get top four and I think a, a win would be huge for them. Whereas obviously Chelsea want to break into the top four. So it's uh it's a real, you know, six pointer. Um I think I maybe, you know, dis- despite all the issues they've had, I, I probably still favour Liverpool. Um I don't really know why. I I just think, you know, the the more players they get back from injury, um, the more game time some of the new players get. I think they are still improving and I think they've still got a good kind of core to that team. Whereas Chelsea yep. I think are very inconsistent. You know, I watched them against Manchester uh, Manchester United on the weekend, and I thought they were very, very poor um, in what was a, a pretty poor game overall. I think so. You know, it's hard to say. I think it probably depends on which team turns up. Which I know, I know, is a really dumb thing to say, but you know, if Liverpool play like we know they can, then I think it'd be an easy win for them. But equally, if Chelsea put in a really good performance under Tuchel, then you know they could definitely still win the game. Yeah, I mean. I watched the Liverpool-Sheffield United game and the, one of the main takeaways, and I think that one of the main takeaways from Liverpool's last few games is they're not playing badly when they lose. It's not like they're awful. Then you know They're still creating chances in a lot of these games. You know, defensively, they're solid or you know, able to hold their own for a reasonable amount of time. But we're being almost let down by individual errors and the odd bit of I almost want to say magic by other teams. You know, they they string together an attack. We have an individual error, and we can see is concede a goal that shouldn't have been able to take our chances. Shouldn't have made too much of a difference by the time we concede it. Um. And if Liverpool, I think, can take their chances, because I think they will have chances against Chelsea, I think if they can actually take them, I think I have to agree with you and actually say, I'll back Liverpool on this. They've just got to make sure that they score. Yeah, Which well, I, sounds, I think... sounds like a basic description of football. <laughs> it's no worse than anything I've said today. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think one of the issues of Liverpool is they've kind of shown that they can play like as well as, as well as we know they can. But they're not doing it over 90 minutes. They're kind of doing it in little spells. So they'll have like 30 minutes where they look like they're back to the best. And then the, like the next 15, they'll be dreadful. So I think it's kind of getting that consistency across the game is probably key for them. And yep. I think to do it against a team that's going for top four, they're going to have to be consistent across the whole 90 minutes if they're going to get a result. Yeah. I mean, Chelsea and Liverpool are currently separated by a point with Chelsea in fifth. Liverpool in sixth. Um, a win for Liverpool will see them overtake them um, and potentially, dependent on results, overtake West Ham in fourth. However, Chelsea are also unbeaten in their last five, having drawn their last two and won the three before that. That is worrying, I think, in terms of the form sheet for Liverpool fans because I think Chelsea defensively have actually looked reasonably solid over the last few games um, and that might be a bit of a concern for Liverpool fans with the front line that isn't quite clicking at the moment, isn't taking chances we expect them to take I think it will maybe come down to what system Chelsea play I don't know, they've kind of swapped between playing kind of a 4-2-3-1 
and a five five at the back system. And I think if they go with five at the back, it will probably help Liverpool more because there'll be kind of that space in between the the wing backs and outside centre backs for Salah and Manny to kind of exploit. So I think that yeah. might be like the biggest decision is how um, Chelsea set up defensively. I think it can either yeah. play into their hands or if they, you know, just go with this solid four two three one, then I think it will be a lot harder for uh, Liverpool to break them down. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. And with that, am I going to back them? I'm going to back Liverpool for a win. Ooh, uh, yeah. I'm going to go for a one-one draw. I think I'm going to go one-one. All right. Um, I think I am going to also back Liverpool. And by also back, I mean, yeah, I mean you didn't back them, so I don't know why no, I said also. <laughs> I've decided not to back them. I want to back them, but I'm just not. You know, so many injuries. Henderson now. We don't know if Allison will be back. You know, obviously currently off with compassionate leave. Um, condolences go out to him and his family after the recent death of his father. Um, yeah, I I just don't. I'm not confident. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know why, but I'm just gonna say two 0 to Liverpool. Well, I'm glad one of us is brave enough to back back them. <laughs> I, I really hope they do. Um, I think it makes it more time... interesting if they do. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, I think City is you know, kind of running away, starting to run away with the title. I think they've got 12 points on second place at the moment. So I think the more interesting battle is certainly going to be top four. Um, and this will, you know, still close but this will really put the cat amongst the pigeons yeah yeah, it's going to be a, a much more exciting uh top four race than it has been the last couple of seasons i think yeah yeah certainly but that's something we'll have you know we get to look forward to in the coming weeks of football but we are now at the end of another episode of the armchair managers podcast thank you so much for joining us if you are on twitter remember please check out our twitter handle below and have a little interaction with us until then we'll speak to you next time